Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, the show consisting of pet owners whose love of animals often outweighs that of many humans that we know. Ladybird, Bella, are you listening? Animals, or at least references to them, are on our docket this week as we consider a pair of streaming features that have clear animal-related themes— The first is Reptile, a Netflix murder mystery whose characters shed their personalities as easy as snakes shed their skins, while the second, the Spanish-French title of which translates from Galician as The Beasts, is a study of how jealousy and the desire for revenge can cause humans to become as irrationally savage as any wild animal. Let's begin with a murder investigation. One scene in Reptile, directed and co-written by Grant Singer, tells us everything we need to know about what Singer and his screenwriting partners, Benjamin Brewer and Benicio Del Toro, have in mind. It involves a character picking up a discarded snakeskin that serves no other purpose than to tell us that any character Singer presents to us may shift what and who he or she is over the course of the film's two-hour and 14-minute running time. That shift applies especially to Del Toro himself, who plays police detective Tom Nichols, who, accompanied by his wife, played by Alicia Silverstone, has moved recently to a small town and is confronted by a brutal murder that is his job to investigate. But the range of characters, from Justin Timberlake's real estate mogul to Michael Pitt's sleazeball weirdo to Eric Bogosian's glad-handing police chief, keeps us guessing. And while the ending doesn't offer any real surprises, it's fun watching Del Toro, an Oscar winner for the 2000 film Traffic, play a guy as concerned about his kitchen remodel as he is about hunting down a killer. I'm glad you brought up traffic because if you hadn't, I was going to. Because watching Reptile, I was thinking of other characters Del Toro has played in similar kind of police procedurals. I mean, not only in traffic, but also in Sicario. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously it's probably unfair to compare something like this to very superior films, but there you have it. But those movies also had characters whose morals we could never quite figure out, and they dealt with themes that were challenging and politically thorny and maybe even morally questionable where you come away from both those films going I don't know how I feel about these issues that at the beginning of the film I thought I had a handle on and Reptile by comparison it's mostly just plot really and I think it's a pretty pedestrian plot at that even though it does have a lot of twists and turns but no twist or turn that is completely unexpected or hasn't been done in another movie and done better. You know, it's got these issues of... And some of them um, don't go anywhere. That's true, too. I mean, that's kind of the nature of one of these kind of neo-noir plots is that sometimes they're just dead ends and red herrings, and that's part of it. But, you know, it's dealing with issues of drugs and police corruption and these, you know, corrupt families that are protected by their wealth. And I just felt like we've seen this all before. And Reptile, as a film, does have moments of style It was directed by a guy with experience shooting music videos, and this is his first feature. And so there are some shots that are pretty striking, I think. There's one scene near the middle that's the way that it's shot and edited. It's almost like the fake out near the end of The Silence of the Lambs, where you think that the cops are going to break down Buffalo Bill's door and then surprise, surprise, they're at the wrong house, but Clarice is at the right house. And it's set up that way where there's multiple phones ringing in Mm -hmm. different parts Mm -hmm. of the plot. And I don't think it's handled well at all. And it's just kind of emblematic of how this whole movie is trying for a kind of style and trying for a kind of tone and just not quite 
hitting it. And again, you mentioned that it's two hours and 14 minutes. It's way, way too long. And by the time we get to the end, it just kind of felt like, you know, ground that had been well trodden, even though I was never totally bored by it. I was occasionally intrigued by, oh, I wonder where this is going. And then it just kind of ended up where I sort of expected it was going. I guess I liked it better than you did, and mainly because of Del Toro's performance. I mean, because in a film such as Reptile, you're always wondering who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. And Del Toro is the perfect person to sort of strike that balance because you always think he has something that he's keeping under wraps, you know. But I thought his performance, Michael Pitt, who I guess is now going by Michael <laughs> Carmen Pitt. Yeah, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Also, did you notice that Benicio Del Toro is a credited co-writer on this yeah, movie? Yeah, you know, and yeah. I figured that that had to be his working the script and deleting the lines rather than yeah, adding maybe, to them. Maybe. Yeah. And then Eric Bogosian shows up. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Alicia Silverstone. that's what I wanted to talk about yeah. because I like her and I would like to see more of her. I just couldn't figure out what her character was supposed to be mm-hmm. doing. I mean, in The Reptile, she's the like sort of solicitous wife, but she also has her own backstory about some expertise in forensic science and, and she's so forth. And she's the connection to the town. Correct. That's the reason why they're there. Right. Right. Well, and, and they sort of have this conspiratorial relationship where he's telling her details about this case that he's working on, which I don't know if he should necessarily be sharing those with her, but like you said, she has a perhaps a law enforcement or science past. And so they're kind of talking, you know, almost over the dinner table about these really gruesome details in this casual conversational way. So there is an interesting dynamic there, I agree. Yeah. And so your big complaint is that this feels derivative yeah. or replicative of yeah. other things. And I don't disagree with that. But I still think if you can put this together in a way that keeps your interest, and maybe that was a little bit of your problem as well. I mean, I think it stands on its own as a decent noir. Yeah, I just think there are so many cop movies and so many of these neo-noir, how deep does the corruption go kind of movies now that in order to really come across as fresh in any way, you have to do something really special. And I don't think I think the really interesting thing about Reptile is Del Toro's character, because it becomes pretty clear. It, It certainly became pretty clear to me. Halfway through the movie, where we were going, even though it, you know, it kept trying to throw in things like the weird people showing up at Justin Timberlake's house. Yeah, to, we to forgot to their, mention him as a Justin oh, yeah. to, to get their photo the taken where the murder yeah. was. All these little things, but it was Del Toro, particularly the scene in which he confronts the guy who he thinks trying to make a move on his wife, and yeah. he very calmly tells the guy. Dude, oh, the contractor? Yes. Yeah. If you think you're going to go here, you're going to have me to deal with. And he does it, you know, in a way that Del Toro does so Diplomatic, well. Diplomatic, understated, but, scary. <laughs> but very yeah. scary. Well, okay, I want to go back to Del Toro's character, not so much as yeah, performance. Yeah, Tom because, Nichols. Uh, you know, he's one of those actors that, like you said, he, I mentioned the word conspiratorial earlier. He sort of has that relationship with us in the audience where you're yes. always wondering the what's, usual what's suspects. He, yeah, yeah. What, what is he doing here? What's he got going on? He just has that natural inclination when he's on camera. But the thing with this, and I wonder if this was Del Toro's suggestion and maybe why he's a credited screenwriter, I don't know. But they give this character all of these weird little quirks that feel 
I get what they were going for. They wanted to make him not just another glowering cop. They wanted to make him kind of quirky. And so there's this whole thing about how he and Alicia Silverstone go to the square dancing Mm -hmm. uh, place all the time. And he's getting into square dancing. How about the home Um, remodeling? I wanted to get to to the home remodel because (laughs) it's a running thing throughout this movie that they're getting their kitchen remodeled. And he's obsessed with the details. That's how the contractor comes into play that you mentioned earlier. And he becomes obsessed at one point with this touchless kitchen sink. (laughs) And he's even looking at it at work when he's supposed to be, you know, examining crime scene photos. He's on like homedepot.com or whatever. Now, I was trying to predict the twists in this movie, Reptile. And a few of them I, I did get, and a few of them I'll admit that I didn't. But I never would have guessed for a million dollars that the final punchline of this movie would involve the touchless kitchen sink. That's what they send us out to the end credits on. And I thought... Okay, so maybe there is kind of this undercurrent of weird eccentricity of dark humor, but I don't think it leans enough into it because you're totally right. There are all of these strange supporting characters and weird details on the fringe that's something you would read in a novel Mm -hmm. maybe, but not so much in a movie like this. But I don't think – I wish the rest of the movie wasn't so ordinary so that it would kind of come across as this really strange rural gothic sort of thing. And before we quit here, I want to do a shout out for Dominic Lombardazzi who plays – not the police chief, but he's the guy, like the lead detective, yeah. who, as the movie goes on, becomes more and more kind of claustrophobic, how he immerses himself in Del Toro's Tom Nichols's And his face gets closer and yes, closer to his face yes. with every new inter- yeah, yeah. Uh, interaction they have. And he's a guy, yeah. you wouldn't recognize the name, but you recognize right, the face. Right, absolutely. I'm surprised you didn't mention the music in this film, because I thought that was a little heavy-handed. You know, it was like, when you were talking about stereotyped sort of performances or aspects of this film, Reptile, it was intrusive in some ways. Did you like the soundtrack cue of Bob Dylan's knocking on heaven's door? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is that underlining things that were already in italics? Yeah. So I was surprised you didn't mention that because you're pretty movie music focused. But I guess you had too many other things to complain about, right? What did you think of Michael Pitt? Oh, excuse me, Michael Carmen Pitt. You know, uh, <laughs> trying a little hard to, to be as skeevy as possible, but yeah. hey, that's what the character required, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to talk about red herrings. I don't think I'm giving anything away no, to say that no. he is a red herring. Exactly. And that was our discussion of the Netflix feature Reptile. This is Movies 101. It's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcasts of Movies 101 by going online at spokanepublicradio.org. While there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to tackle a film titled The Beasts. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. 70% of our listeners prefer to purchase products and services from public radio program underwriters, according to a recent NPR survey. Spokane Public Radio listeners appreciate program underwriters because they also help support the station and programs they listen to each and every day. You can find information about becoming a program underwriter and our current underwriters on our website at spokanepublicradio.org under business support underwriting. Through this relationship, we can all help keep the region growing strong, whether it's our diverse business community or Spokane Public Radio. And we're back. This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbinder, and I discussed the Netflix murder mystery, Reptile. Let's now move to something equally animal-oriented, the French-Spanish study of culture clash titled, simply enough, The Beasts. 
In 2016, filmmakers Andrew Becker and Daniel Mayer co-directed Santo Aya, a documentary feature that tells the story of a Dutch couple who, after moving to a remote village in Spain, find themselves in conflict with their neighbors. That's basically the same plot of The Beasts, though the couple in The Beasts, which was directed and co-written by Spanish filmmaker Rodrigo Sorogoyen, are French. The problem for Olga and Antoine, played respectively by Marina Foyce and Denis Menochet, is that they have moved to their village with the intent to become organic farmers. Their progressive attitudes don't mesh with those of their immediate neighbors, though, especially when Olga and Antoine vote against the installation of windmills that might bring some much-needed income to the area. Sorogoyan's film builds with the intensity of a horror flick, with the character of Sean, played by Luis Zahara, coming across as scary as anything seen on the big screen in some time. It's little wonder that the beasts, Asbestas in Galician, won nine Goyas, Spain's National Film Award, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Menoche, and Best Supporting Actor for Zahara. This, as you indicated, Dan, is a remake of sorts of a documentary film that is based on the real experiences of the Dutch couple now turned into a French couple. and. Of course, I liked it because the background of the beasts does focus on this disappearance, this mysterious disappearance. And so I'm all about the murder shows, etc. But in this particular film, although that's the subplot that's going on, as you point out in the beasts, we're really looking at this sort of clash of cultures and and class and class, yes, yes. and class in particular because this couple has chosen to relocate to this area, and again, making them a French couple when there has been all that ongoing struggle at various points over the Galician area of Spain makes this film pop just a little bit more than the original mm-hmm. um, Santoella. Or the real-life uh, story. Right, yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think that they are simultaneously trying to become a part of this community, but that's never going to happen. And we understand that early on, but for some reason they keep trying and trying in a way that comes off as classist and elitist and it builds. It just gets more intense and more intense because they are calling Antoine by names. They call him Frenchy throughout the beasts. But he tries to ingratiate himself by showing up at the pub and trying to be a regular guy and buying drinks for everyone. And he and his wife are rehabilitating these houses that have been abandoned and are falling apart. And they want to kind of you know spruce Entice them up and give them away. Entice people to come back. Yeah. But they never appreciate fully how – I mean they have chosen this particular life away from everything. They never appreciate fully that other people feel stuck there and Mm -hmm. feel constrained by this beautiful little village that's now crumbling. And so that's when we start to see, oh, uh, where's this going to go? And I don't think, at least in real life, and the difference between this and the documentary is we don't know what the time frame is here exactly. And the documentary I mean, this was a simmering, boiling feud over the course of more than a decade. They Um, say in the film that the French couple have been there for at least two years. Right. But we're not sure. It's at least a couple seasons over the course of the Correct. And we know that there's been history here because the very first time that we meet Sean and Antoine, Sean is saying stuff to Antoine. It's like he's referring to this whole project that they voted down because Olga and Antoine – 
they see that it's probably going to be a scam and that right. these people are going to be taken advantage of. Yeah. But the corporation is going to come in and say, we're going to build this wind farm on your land, but we're going to pay you for it. But in reality, what's probably going to happen is they're going to get a very small chunk of change yeah. and then probably get displaced. But, right. exactly. but any small chunk of change, it makes a difference to these to people them, who've yeah. been there. And of course- you know, who wants outsiders coming in telling you what to do with well, your that, land? So that, and that goes into the themes of xenophobia that run throughout right. this movie because you do start to think, well, you know, they do have something of a point here because, you know, he says, I don't mind the fact that you live here, even though he absolutely does. <laughs> but he says, I mind. Are you talking about uh, Sean? Yes. I mind that your vote in this matter counts as much as mine. Yeah. And at first you think. Well, he's got a point. But then you think, wait, no, he doesn't because this guy lives here. It's his house. He's yeah. as much of a resident as the other guy. And so that's why I think this movie, The Beast, is so effective is because it does pull you into this conflict and you start to see that, oh, there's more than just a disagreement here. There is simmering hatred, mostly coming from the side of the people that have been there for a very, very long time right. and see this couple as outsiders. They almost see them as playing dress up as farmers and mm -hmm. they resent that. And the way that this movie builds, the tension, I think, is unbearable <laughs> yes, um, is. because you start to think something terrible is going to happen and I don't know what it is. There is a scene in The Beast that is unflinching and I think difficult to watch. And it comes at a point in the film that I was not expecting. And then we still have almost an hour uh, left. Yeah. In more than and, 45 minutes, And you minutes, start to yeah. think, what is going to happen? What yeah. is this going to be about? And the last third of this movie is so unexpected and ties together all these themes of what is my place in the world? What does grief look like? Mm -hmm. um, what is it like to live with guilt after you've done something terrible? And how do you look that guilt in the face when you're on the other side of it? And it's so fascinating, and I can't get into why because it would spoil some yeah. of the things that happen here. But I've seen this movie twice now with a few months separating the viewings. The first time, this movie knocked me sideways mm -hmm. because I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what it was about, and it completely pulled me in. Yeah. Yeah. The second time, because I knew where it was going, it didn't have the same raw impact, but it still has just a blunt force to it. And these long scenes of dialogue between these two actors, Denis Menochet and Louise Zahara, that, I mean, the tension, you can cut it with a knife, <laughs> yeah. and the performances are riveting. And the mm -hmm. director just lets the scenes play out in long takes. You know what it reminded me of the second time? was the Christian Monjou film we reviewed, RMN, that's about oh. similar tensions yes. building in that small yes. Romanian yeah. town. It would make a great double feature. Mm -hmm. This, I think, is an even better movie than that, but it also has that same sense of it's over when it ends. You go, well, what now? <laughs> what is going to happen to these people now? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating movie. Well, and mm -hmm. the other thing that, to emphasize the sort of culture clash, I hate to continue to use that phrase, but... They actually speak three different languages throughout mm -hmm. this movie. So when Antoine and Olga are speaking between the two of them, of course, they're speaking French. But then, depending on who's involved, they're either speaking in the Galatian language or Spanish. And so they sort of go back and forth. And then you're sort of trying to figure out, is there someone to root for here? Uh, yeah, because as much as... Antoine has good intention as a progressive man. There's an aura of intolerance of him also that grows and grows and grows, but it feels natural. You put yourself in that position, you go, I would react the same way, but would that, would well, that and, be the right and way? And I think that Antoine just doesn't understand. He thinks that these people don't get it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
so he feels as though they're kind of, even though this is their home, that they're the rubes, you know, and they can't yes. appreciate fully what's going to happen um, yeah. if they go down right. this road. And, and, and that's th- what I mean by intolerance. Yeah, and there's an interesting relationship that sort of develops in a couple of scenes between Antoine and an older man that's on a neighboring yes. farm that's been living yeah. there for decades. It's not every neighbor. And, and, yes, and them. so he has this kind of comically antagonistic relationship with this old man who's also kind of giving him guff and busting his chops about, you know, oh, like, that's no way to plant tomatoes. Like, don't you know anything? But they still break bread together and Mm -hmm. and have this kind of warm relationship. And then once that relationship ends, that's kind of when trouble Mm -hmm. begins. It's almost like he was the ballast kind of holding this very, very everyone back. House of cards. He was like the catcher in the rye. And then that goes um, awry. Uh (laughs) Um, At any rate, I think the other thing is the fact that We want to like Olga, for example. And so you start to see as time goes on how she being affected by these things Mm -hmm. because Antoine is the primary protagonist or antagonist, however you want to look at it. But then she's the one who actually has the more powerful role in some respects. I mean, she ends up being secretly the true protagonist of this. Yeah, I think so too. And you're watching it the first hour and a half where – they're just sniping at each other and sort of doing all of these things. You wonder, is this going to turn out like a Jean de Florette Manon of the Spring sort yeah, of situation? Yeah, yeah. Or is this going to go full on straw dogs? Right. Like, what are we looking <laughs> yeah. at here? I was and, thinking and, and Siege you wonder, Trencher's Farm, you, yes. You wonder, like, how intense is this going to be? And mm-hmm. just the way that it plays out is so surprising. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, at the end, sort of heartbreaking in so many ways. But is it surprising considering the first, like, two minutes of this film? Yeah, I mean, the first two minutes do sort of tell you what you're going to see eventually. But by the time it happens, maybe you've forgotten about the first yeah. two minutes. But yeah, I think this is – this movie sort of – even the though it was, it was a big hit in its native country, I think this is kind of flying under the radar here in the U.S. And I think yeah, it's, it's a big really European very film. much worth seeing. It's yeah, very exactly. yeah. yeah, now the question is, do you see the doc also? I haven't seen the doc, so that's next on Santo my Aya, 2016. Yeah. Yes, exactly. At any rate, that was our discussion of The Beasts, and this is Movies 101. I'm Dan Webster, and earlier in the show, Nathan Weinbinder, Mary Pat Truthart, and I discussed the Netflix film Reptile. Let's take this moment to thank Cassia Fox for both producing and engineering the show. We thank you to our loyal listeners. We invite you back next week, same time, same spot on the radio dial, when we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer wherever we can find it. Until then, consider these words from the zoologist and author Desmond Morris. I viewed my fellow man not as a fallen angel, but as a risen ape. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.